Let's try it again. Isn't Thanksgiving an incredible time of the year? But what do you mean when you say the word Thanksgiving? What informs your understanding of that word? And that's really the aim of the message this morning is that we would understand what's really the center of our Thanksgiving. Because I think you might, maybe, you might be surprised this morning at what really biblically and theologically is the center of Thanksgiving. What gives the power to Thanksgiving? And I think we're going to discover that this morning. You know, the great Boulder Dam, which we know as the Hoover Dam, do you know it's 726 feet high? Now, if you're at the bottom, that's over two and a half football, almost two and a half football fields high. So get a, get a sort of a, a mind and a picture of the scope of the size of this thing. It's 1,244 feet wide. It was built to prevent flooding. There's three reasons. To bring irrigation to the desert regions of Arizona and California. And it was built to create hydroelectric power. But here's what I really want you to know. When they built this, and if you've seen this on the Discovery Channel, then you'll know it cost a lot of lives. A lot of people died to build this. In fact, if you've been there, how many of you have been to the, the Hoover Dam? Then you've likely seen what's on the screen behind me, this plaque. And on that plaque, it reads, These died that the desert might rejoice and blossom as the rose. But here is what I want to start to distinguish this morning. Now, I want you to think. Now, immediately, let's get our, our minds in gear. I know it's early in the morning. It's even early in the service. You're not used to kicking it in gear till another 20 minutes. There's a difference between dying by accident and giving your life. I mean, their deaths were horribly unfortunate when they built this, but they are, and they are remembered for it, but they died accidentally. They did not sacrifice themselves. They were not victims of accidents. Haven't you ever wondered when somebody dies by accident, if they knew they were going to die that day, would they ever get out of bed? Likely not. How much greater are those who willingly lay down their lives for other people? Willingly sacrifice, not in an accident, but in a purposeful life and a glorious death. Now listen, we're, we're talking about how do you understand the center of thanksgiving. And now we're pressing for that. And I want to get us towards that by understanding that we're called Christian brother and sister... We're called to live while we die, or to die while we live. Die to ourselves and serve God. And if you have your Bibles open, 2 Corinthians 4, I hope you do, and you start at verse 8 with me. Let's read it together. Let's read and you follow along. We are afflicted in every way. Paul's saying we're suffering. We're not crushed. Perplexed, but we're not given to despair. You ever been perplexed? Lord, I don't understand what's going on, but I'm not giving up. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. For we 
who live, that's us, the context are Christians. We, brothers and sisters of Christ, who live, are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be made clear, manifested in our mortal flesh. So here's what, it, here's what we're called to, Christian brother and sister. We're called to live while we're dying. We're called to live for Jesus for his sake. Look what it says right at the end of that. We're being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Isn't it amazing? You go right to verse 15 and you read that while we are given, being given over to death for Jesus' sake, it's all for your sake. Listen, when I live in a way that I'm dying, sacrificing, serving Jesus, serving you, then it's for your sake. When you live that way for me, it's for my sake. When we live that way for each other, it's for the other's sake. When you sacrifice for other people, you're serving Jesus. And if you commit to serving Jesus, others are going to benefit. Do you see that cycle? When I live and yet die to myself and serve you, that I am doing it for Jesus and I am doing it for you. And when you do it for each other in your marriage, you do it for each other in your family, you do it for each other in your church and in your job and in your schools and in your colleges and your neighborhoods, you're bringing honor to Jesus and honor to people. They go together. And our lives have a purpose. Look what it says in verse 15, that grace would extend to more and more People, do you realize that's your purpose, Christian? And that's my purpose, that grace would extend to more and more people. Can I ask you right now, now look at me for a second. Is your life extending grace to more and more people? If it's not, then you're not living on purpose. If it is, you're living the very purpose that the Bible gives us. You see, we sacrifice, we live and die, we die while we live, we serve, so that other people will believe the good news and be saved, listen, rescued from eternal hell and given eternal life. If you had the opportunity, friends, listen, if you had the opportunity, on a dark and stormy night, to discover that a bridge is out, and you can turn around and you can flag oncoming traffic and rescue them from death, from going off of that severed bridge and into certain death. If you could do that, would you not do that? Then why do we not do that for those on their way to hell? When we have the good news, we have the gospel, we have the way to rescue them from hell and to give them eternal life, yet day after day people are traveling in life beyond us, past us, and we're not warning them. See, as we serve and sacrifice and live the gospel, listen, we're going to suffer, we're going to be persecuted. It's called living while you're dying. But if you can rescue people from eternity and hell, it's worth the sacrifice. Amen? Okay, so that was the introduction. And it's actually going to be a relatively short sermon. Relatively an hour and a half. 
That was a little joke, Thanksgiving humor. So look with me at verse 15. Now we do deep dive. All right, we've been snorkeling. Get your, your tanks on and your, your mask, your breather. Let's go down a little bit deeper. And some of you that like snorkeling and don't like scuba diving, that's okay. We're going to come back to the surface in just a little bit. But let's go deeper for a moment and let's look at verse 15 and look what it says again. For it is all for your sake. Key in on this. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. I want you to look at that word grace and look behind me because here's the Greek word for it, charis. It's why we named our daughter Carissa. It means beauty and grace. And that's easy. A lot of us might have known that. Let me now show you the word thanksgiving in the Greek. Eucharistia. Do you see charis is the root word? Grace is the root of thanksgiving. In fact, thanksgiving is really not the right word. It's not the best rendering of Eucharistia. The better word is gratitude, an attitude of grace. An attitude that you've been shown grace and now you delight and you take joy in the one who gave it. Did you ever know that grace is what really theologically forms our thanksgiving? You can't have biblical thanksgiving without grace. You can't go through November and truly deeply celebrate thanksgiving without the acknowledgement that God has given us what we do not deserve, grace, and returning it in joy and delight to the giver. You see, we, we tend to reduce thanksgiving now listen, we do this. You do this, I do this, I'm pretty sure. We tend to reduce it to saying thank you when somebody gives us something or does something nice for us. But gratitude is deeper. Now you're ready, we're scuba diving. It's deeper, there's more. It's a feeling. Gratitude's an emotion. And guys, listen, if you're rationally driven, you might not like this, but you gotta get in touch with this if you're gonna be like Jesus. He was the whole man. He had emotions and he had truth. He thought and he felt. Gratitude is deep. It's an emotion of delight. It's a feeling of joy in the giver. That's what gratitude is. Let me give you an example. Growing up, every single Christmas season, my mom and dad packed all the kids, six of us, into the station wagon or the Buick. We always had large cars for a family of eight. I loved that station wagon. You could sit in the back and either face each other or face out the rear end. That was awesome. And we would pack up and go from where I grew up outside of Syracuse to Rochester, a two-and-a-half-hour trip to see my grandmother. My grandmother lived in an assisted living, high-rise apartment. You could go out on her balcony and see all over Rochester. The best part of Grandma's place, the only thing, honestly, that I look forward to is in her bathroom was one of those strings that would alarm, ring the alarm if you fell. I would, I would touch it. I would want to pull it. I never did. Oh, I wish I did, just once. What a memory. What a sermon illustration that would be. Right? People are going to hell. You pull the ringer. I don't know. I just made that up. So I'm, I'm on my way to my grandmother's. And on the way back... Now, here's what would always happen invariably every single year. Grandma Staley would get 
the gifts for all of her grandkids. We all got the same thing. Here's what I got. Two things every year. If you're old enough, you'll remember this. It's a carton that you fold out and it's lifesavers. That was the good one. I wouldn't even have to unwrap the other one. It was always soap on a rope. <laughs> Grandma would give us the lifesavers and the soap on the rope. I don't know if she was trying to say something to us or what. We all had it. I would take showers with it around my neck. And I don't know, it was kind of corny, kind of weird. But I was a kid. I didn't know better. And I would say, thank you, Grandma. But inwardly, I'm going, soap on a rope? Are you kidding Every single year, there was no gratitude in my heart. I said thank you to grandma, but my heart was not filled with a feeling of delight and a joy for her gift. But Thanksgiving is more friends than even just delighting in a gift. Listen, if you're going to say thank you to God and it's going to increase in your life, which is the goal of every believer, then it's more than saying Thank you, or even delighting in a gift. And let me give you an example. Let's say this Christmas, either your child or a little friend in your life or a grandchild, you get them an Xbox game, and they love Xbox. And they start to take the wrapper off that game, and they see this is the game that they've been wanting. It's the brand new one that everybody's clamoring for, and they get that game, and And they just immediately rip the wrapper off and they fly down the stairs to the TV and they throw it in the Xbox and start playing. Listen, they're delighting in the gift, but they're not delighting in the giver. And that's not Thanksgiving. You see, Thanksgiving, if you're going to learn this, if you're going to deep dive with me and we're going to become a family that increases our Thanksgiving to God, you realize it's a heart full of delight and joy, and it's directed to the one who has given us the gift. And the gift that God has given to us, listen, if it's not a gift if you deserved it, and it's not a gift if you've earned it. If you believe that you can earn or you deserve your salvation because you've been good, you've grown up in a good pedigree family, you've gone to church, you do a lot of good things, then you don't understand grace because grace is freely given to the people that don't deserve it. You cannot earn it. That's why it's a gift. And when God gives us the gift of salvation and the gift of his mercy, which is new every morning, then our hearts respond in joy and our feelings of delight target God, the giver of the gift whom we did not deserve it from. Do you know why so many of us? Listen, I'm in the mirror on this. I hope you one day get the chance to preach or teach. Because you'll understand the whole time you're preparing the sermon or the lesson, that mirror of God's word is aiming right back at you. It is sometimes not fun, but it's also incredible. So I've been in this mirror all week, and so I'm including me. You know why so many of us are not filled with the delight of gratitude, the attitude of gratitude? It's because we do not fully and truly understand that every single bit of kindness that God has ever shown us, we do not deserve it. 
Thanksgiving is in direct proportion to the realization that we do not deserve what God has given us. And listen, some of us have to fight that. We have to fight for that. We have to kill the pride that says, well, I I know I'm not really that bad. Yeah, I know I mess up, but I'm really not like that person. So the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's no one that has earned God's salvation. There's no one that has deserved this gift. All of us have gone astray. We are all enemies of his when he breaks through in his grace. There was a woman who had come to Charles Spurgeon in the late 1800s, my hero of the faith, and she didn't understand the gospel, and he explained it to her, and he explained it to her, and finally she began to grasp the enormity of the truth that she was a sinner, undeserving of God's forgiveness, yet God was willing not only to forgive her freely, but to give her eternal life and a friendship with Him. And when she finally got that, her heart responded in a, in a, in a delight and a joy, and she exclaimed to Charles Spurgeon, Mr. Spurgeon, if the Lord saves me, He shall never hear the end of it. See, that's thanksgiving, that's increasing, that's the attitude of gratitude that knows that what you've been given is freely from God, you did not deserve it, he in his kindness decided to give it. And it results in delight and joy to the giver. It's why Paul was suffering that there would be more and more people, that there would be redeemed voices added to the church, rising up in multitudes of attitudes, of gratitudes before God and worship. And listen, if we're going to increase and more and more people are going to receive grace, how is it going to happen? Well, look at verse 7 with me. Because Paul answers that. But we have this treasure. You know what the treasure is? It's the gospel of grace. It's the power of the gospel. We have that treasure in jars of clay. You know who the jars of clay are? We are. You know what jars of clay were back in Paul's day? They were common, ordinary vessels. Easily broken, very fragile, plain, unadorning, that you would put food, oil, and treasures in. You would hide them in there. And God is no exception. He says, listen, I've taken my treasure, the power of the gospel, my grace, my mercy, my son's death and burial and resurrection that can free you and rescue you and give you life eternal. I've given that and I put it right into your soul and hiding it. So nobody can take it out. Not that you can keep it secret so that nobody can take it out, that you would tell everybody else about it. More and more people would receive grace and increase in thanksgiving. That word power, I love that. To show that the surpassing power, you know what I was going to do with that? This is the Greek word dunamis. I was going to get my motorcycle custom painted with flames and the word dunamis. I don't know, it's a little vain, I guess. Better than soap on a rope. But I was going to go that direction. I never did, but it means power. It gives us our word dynamite. Dunamis, dynamite. You know, when I was 14 years old, you know what happened when I was 14 years old? It was 1980. It was May 18th. And some of you are going to remember Mount St. Helens exploded. I remember that I was glued to the television. 
we were just waiting for the ashes to fall in our little town of Derrida, New York, because we were hearing it was coming our way. It exploded with a demonstration, stunning demonstration of the power in nature. You know what? Listen, the curvature of the earth, 17 miles away from Mount St. Helens, 150 foot tall Douglas firs were flattened, sheared off the top. 17 miles away from here past Allentown. That explosion was so great, it sheared him right off like a giant scythe. You know, before and after photos, you see it there. Listen, it atomized 1,300 feet of that mountain peak. Can you imagine that? Obliterated it, demolished it, sent it up in dust in a second. In fact, the crater that it created was one to two miles wide. The explosion was so severe. In fact, experts have equivalated this explosion to 20,000 bombs that they dropped on Hiroshima. It all happened in a second. And the Bible says that the power that lives in you, brother and sister, and in me is greater even than that. It's surpassing power. It's surpassing dynamite of God. Do you realize that? You got power greater than that which obliterated Mount St. Helens living inside your heart when you're in Christ. And that power is going to do incredible things. It is a treasure greater than the universe has ever known. And it's a treasure that we need to tell people about so that grace extends more and more and increases in thanksgiving to the glory of God. Listen, when you've gone to a restaurant for the first time that's been amazing, Don't you tell people about it. Don't you? If you go to a store and you find an incredible buy, maybe on a pair of shoes or a coat or a piece of hunting equipment, don't you tell people about it? Have you ever told anyone how much you love your church or your sports team or your favorite music artist? Listen, when your heart is filled with delight and joy for the one who gave you the greatest treasure there is, even though you do not deserve it, you're going to tell people about it. And by doing it, you're going to increase his reputation. You're going to make him famous. And that's what it means to make God, to give glory to God. Listen, don't. Don't labor over complex definitions of what it means to give glory to God. It simply means you increase his reputation. You make him famous. You make the spotlight of approval shine on God. That's what it means to bring glory to God. And Christian, when you're no longer guilty, you're no longer guilty of your sins. You're no longer under condemnation for them. You'll never ever hear the the gavel of God Pound on a guilty sentence of your life. You'll never hear that. It will fill you with delight and you will tell people about it and they will increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. You know, you're no longer enslaved to sin, brother and sister in Christ. You no longer have the shackles of sin. Well, why can't I stop this sin then in my life? Even Christians can sit in a jail cell with the door open. But God will eventually lead you out. 
The power of sin has been broken from the cross. You've been set free. Listen, we are pilgrims. We are strangers. We are aliens in this world. We're on our way to a better place. You know who is close to being on his way to a better place? Listen, I'm going to shock you this morning. It's not my intention. I want you to pray for him. It's John Piccioni. Visited him last night and the day before. He's not likely long for this planet. He's one of the elders on our board of our church. But I'm going to tell you, he is finishing his time on earth in a glorious fashion. He is praying for people who come. He is extolling the virtues that he's seen in them. He is praising his God. He is looking forward to being with Jesus. He has an attitude of thanksgiving. And when you love the giver that has given you what you do not deserve, your heart will respond in a delight, in a joy, in the one who gave it to you. That's what it means. And when, you, when you've got a new heart, when God's given you a new heart and he's filling it with desire so that you're going to love him and enjoy him and serve him, you're going to increase in thanksgiving. Christian, you know you're brought into a family. You're adopted. You're adopted by God. He paid for you. It's about $10,000 in America to adopt a child. He paid for you with the, the blood, the precious blood of his son. And he has brought you into the family. You know what the Bible says? That you have and I have the same exact inheritance of Jesus. You've got the same blessings that God gives to his son. You have them. You've got the same forward future that Jesus has now. And our Heavenly Father loves you in a way that you cannot even begin to understand. Every once in a while, the fog will break and you'll get a little bit of a clear glimpse, but then the fog will come back. That's the way it will be on this planet until you're living in eternal glory with Him. But every once in a while, you break through and you see, wow, I cannot believe how beautiful my Father's love is for me. And this treasure in you was free. It's available to anyone who comes to Jesus and simply asks. It's the good news. It's called the gospel. It's the gospel of grace. And it's grace that forms gratitude. It's grace that forms thanksgiving. And as more and more grace extends to more and more people, their voices rise. They increase thanksgiving. They're making their God famous. They're increasing his reputation into the glory of God. It is happening. If you give a testimony of what God has done in your life, listen, what he's done, you do not deserve. If you think you deserve it, you will not bring him glory. If you think you deserve it or you've earned it, you cannot truly be filled with gratitude. It will be a thank you and you run down and throw it in your Xbox. It'll be a thank you and you don't delight in the soap of the rope of what God's given you. Listen, if you're going to be filled with a knowledge of grace that is freely given to you and you do not deserve it, it will increase and result in thanksgiving. You give a testimony of what God's done, then it's a delight and a joy and attitude of gratitude to the one who freely gave it, though you do not deserve it. Thanksgiving is our heart's response to the God who has given us what we do not deserve. And friends, it's a treasure. 
It's the good news. It's a surpassing power greater than any display you'll ever see. And it saves us from eternal punishment. It gives us eternal friendship with God the Father. And as we enter into Thanksgiving season, let's acknowledge God's grace in our lives. Let's let it stir up feelings and emotions of delight and joy and express them to the one who has given you everything in his son. Amen. Let's make him famous. Let's make God famous. Let's testify in a way that will increase his reputation. Now, what do you do with this sermon as I close? All right, you learned that Thanksgiving is built on grace. You can't have increasing Thanksgiving if you don't realize that everything you've gotten from God you don't deserve, yet he's freely given it. Okay, what do you do with that? Look at what you have in your life. And if your mind immediately goes to what you don't have, then you don't understand grace. And you don't understand your heavenly father. Look what you've been given in life. And if your mind immediately goes to what you lost this year and it cries out in pain, that's okay. God will tenderly bring you back to show you what he's given you. What do you do with this sermon? Who do you testify of God's greatness to? Do you have people on their way to hell in your life? Listen, the bridge is out. There's no way to get from here to God's holiness on your own. You can't get it. There's only one direction. It's over the precipice into eternal damnation. That's the gospel. That's the bad news that makes the good news so good. And you've been there. You've seen the bridge out. God saved you. You turn around. Who are you warning? Who are you rescuing? Who are you coming along beside and say, listen, it's free. It is free. Jesus did it all. Just reach out your hand. And take the gift just like you do at Christmas when someone hands to you something you did not earn or deserve. And open it up and have eternal life. Let your testimony, filled with thanksgiving, thanksgiving, bring God glory and open the eyes of the people. Lord, thank you for what Paul has taught us. Lord, may your grace extend to more and more people. Father, may it result in more voices crying out to you and thanksgiving rising to you to make you famous. Lord, may our lives make you famous. May they increase your reputation. May we bring you glory. And Father, as we are about to hear testimonies of your mercy and your grace, Lord, let them fill us with amazement of how incredible you are. What a surpassing power. We love you and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.